Lord, thankful for the elders in this body. Uh, think of Chad, who's in Lapine, bringing the word to Calvary Chapel there. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you just speak through him in a powerful way, Lord. We thank you for Kevin, who just uh, works a, a job full-time and works another job out of, out of his garage, just building furniture, and has labored to bring the word to our body this week. We pray that you'd anoint him, give him just an extra gift of teaching, and just give him special words, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words of discernment, and uh, exhortation for our body this morning. Just spur us on through Kevin, one of our shepherds in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Acts 18, as Rory said. Um, And we've got a lot of work to do. And since this is a standalone message, we're not... Uh, piggybacking off this next week, we will finish it. So um, we better we better get started. <laughs> I actually we're te- Chad and I are helping out the teaching group over in Lapine. Lapine's without a senior pastor, and so there's a rotation of us guys that go over there and teach every week. And uh, we've been teaching through the Book of Acts for a little over a year now, I would say, and uh, around a year, I don't know. <clears throat> and um, I got to teach just this last week, and uh, I taught this passage actually. And as I was telling Roy this morning, I had three pages of notes and taught for 55 minutes. So I had some more time to prepare this week. Now I have six pages of notes. So, yeah, yeah. So we'll just welcome you to second service at 11 o'clock and keep going. <clears throat> uh, actually, I, I think that, uh, uh, that we'll be able to press through rather quickly. Um, Anyway, so as I said, I taught there last week uh, this passage, and so I'm eager to bring it to you uh, this week as well. So why don't we, uh, as Roy has already prayed for us, why don't we just quickly get into the word here. Acts chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 18 through 28. 18 through 28. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. And then came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So we, we go straight through teaching over there in Lapine, just like we do here, teaching through um, a book, and, and this was my section last week. And so I looked at this section and, and was prayerfully considering what the Lord would have to say. What is it that he's wanting to say? What did he say back then? Why was this written? And, and looking all around uh, uh, the book of Acts further on and preceding this, we see all kinds of really cool stories about the Holy Spirit invading people's lives and doing some crazy things and salvation comes and, and it's really exciting. The plot gets built out and you see the person and, and, and that's what I was hoping for. That's what I was hoping for when I had my turn is I'd have some cool story, maybe like the, the Philippian jailer or something who, you know, sees all these guys leave and, or he thinks they're going to leave and they don't leave and he sees Paul and Silas getting beat and then he ends up getting saved. He's like, what's going on? This is kind of crazy, you know. And, or after this, there's the seven sons of Sceva who, who just uh, get overtaken by a demon. We see Paul at Ephesus and we see all kinds of cool stories getting developed, like a movie, Right? In a movie, you've got the plot, you've got the place, you've got the people, and it gets developed, it gets built out. 
Well, in this chapter, in this particular part of the chapter, I was looking at it and I said, okay, so what are you showing us, Lord, here? What are you, what are you building out? What are we seeing the Holy Spirit doing here? And it says, okay, and then he picked up Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, then he cut his hair. That seems very random. Uh, then he goes into Ephesus. Okay, that's what he was doing. Oh, no. And then he, he leaves Ephesus. Okay, so that was, oh, he's, and he's at Caesarea. And he goes up and he greets the church with the church of Jerusalem. And okay, what's he going to do there? Well, oh, then he actually leaves and goes down to Antioch. Okay, so now he's at his home church, and this is what it's going to be about. After spending some time there, then he left. Okay, so, so that wasn't really it. And then he's in Galatia and Phrygia, and it just says he strengthened his disciples. So, so nothing's getting built out. So I'm like, okay, it must be in the next section. So then we have Apollos. Okay, so we're going to talk about Apollos. We're going to, we're going to build this guy up and talk about him for a little bit, and, and um, we're going to get to know this guy and see what he's doing and what he's all about. And it says that, He's just the guy that's coming preaching the gospel. He's not even doing it right. He gets corrected by Priscilla and Aquila. And then he leaves. And he goes to Achaia. And then he preaches Jesus. And so in all of this, I'm sitting here looking back. I'm like, nothing really ever gets developed. We never really get deep into any story. So I'm just like racking my brains. I'm like, what are you trying to say here? What are you doing? I actually texted some guys and Asked for some help. and was like, hey, what do you guys see? What are you guys reading in this? Chad pipes up and said, well, here's what I see. Your wife, Erica, who's a hairdresser, right? Said, Your wife, Erica, is supposed to go and cut people's hair. And if Lapine asks you to stay, kindly reject them and leave. <laughs> so, I don't think that was it. But anyway, so what I see here, I'm going back. I actually start back further uh, reading the entire chapter. And I see that... Um, Paul is uh, teaching people, and here comes this Priscilla and Aquila, and they're also tent makers, and they kind of tutor underneath Paul, and, and so that now they're uh, actually doing some correcting and preaching and teaching of the gospel. We see this Apollos guy, and it says that, that he had been taught the way of the Lord, and he came from John the Baptist camp, and whether he was discipled directly by him or not. So we see that, that this multiplication of people, so I'm like, oh, that's all I see. I just see this multiplication of people, God. They're going about proclaiming your name. What is happening? What are you wanting to say here with this passage? I'm like, oh, then with a sledgehammer, he's like, oh, that's what discipleship is. That's what's going on. This is a clear picture of discipleship in the church. This is a clear picture of the Holy Spirit moving in people to become disciples to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. So, Today's message, it's on discipleship. Okay, and so we, we, we want to first ask, okay, so what is discipleship? What is it to be a disciple? Disciple to be a disciple of something, it's it's simply just it's a it's it's a way to believe. It's what you think is is right and is true, a way to live. So you become a disciple of somebody or some way that you think is the right way to live. And then you subsequently proclaim that way as truth. Proclaim that way. This is the right way to live. So we're all disciples. Everybody's a disciple. Most people are disciples of the world. And the world spends billions of dollars discipling the people of the world, right? Telling people how to live, what's true. This is how you should think, ladies. This is what, this is what it means to be a man. You got to do this. You got to talk to your wife like that. And to be a woman, you got to look a certain way. And to be a kid and to get a job, you've got to to be somebody. You've got to right. And and this is discipleship. This is the world discipling people on the way to live. Back in real life, in the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit coming to change that same methodology, discipleship, but proclaiming the real way to live. The real hope. This word discipleship, you guys, sometimes people go, well, is this, you know, is this like a requirement? This disciple, it might have to be a disciple, or is it just Christian, or, or what is it? Are we just kind of making up some term? Are we making a big deal out of something that the Bible doesn't? Well, the word Christian really isn't in the Bible. It's called like the way. And we call that, you know, Christians, they're followers of the way. They're followers of Jesus. And the term the way is found three times in the New Testament. 
So the term Christian, three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is found over 250 times in the New Testament. So I think we need to pay attention to what Jesus is talking about. About what it is to be a disciple. And what the plan of discipleship is. I'm going to real quickly going to weave a little bit of scripture together for you this morning because I want, to, I, want to, I want you to see that the Holy Spirit and Jesus, both part of the triune God, are working together in this plan, in this program of discipleship, okay? So because in the Gospels we see the main character as Jesus, right? In the Gospels we see, we're just looking at Jesus, we're watching him to see what he does, how he does things, what he says, and then we immediately get into the, the book of Acts, when Jesus leaves the planet. And we have a other part of the God, the triune God, the Holy Spirit coming to this place. Now, is he saying the same thing? What's, is there a different kind of a deal going on? Well, in John 16, 7, so this is a little bit before, obviously, the ascension of God. So he's still here on the planet, Jesus, God in flesh. And he tells his disciples whom have been following him, he says, I'm the way, this is me, I'm life, I'm truth, I'm going to be the king of kings, I'm, it's me. And they declare that even. You, that, that's you, where else are we going to turn? And then he announces to his disciples, the people that have been following him, here's what it says in John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come. And so you can imagine these guys going, what in the, what, what, what? Well, you're, the, you're, you're it, you're God, you're king of kings and lord of lords, you're the ruler of the Jews, you're going to come and conquer this whole place. What do you mean you're going to go away? And it's going to be better for, who, what? So as good as you, who's, what's the Holy, you can, the Holy Spirit, what's going on? You can imagine, I mean, put yourself there, right? You're wondering what's happening, but at the same time, you have great expectations, right, of this Holy Spirit and what he's going to be doing in you. And it later goes on down in the same passage in John chapter 16. It says this Holy Spirit is going to basically do two things. He's going to basically do two things. He's going to guide you in all truth. So he's not just going to give you the knowledge, although that's what he does. He's going to guide you. He's going to take you through this walk of truth. He's going to guide you in truth. That's in verse 13. In verse 14 it says, and he will glorify me. He will glorify me. So we see Jesus announcing the Holy Spirit's coming, and he's going to take you. He's going to guide you in truth, and he's going to proclaim my name. He's going to glorify me. Then just a little while later, Jesus is, is, is crucified and he's getting ready to ascend to the Father. He makes the command that probably all of you are familiar with in Matthew 28. That, uh, we've, we've labeled it the Great Commission where he proclaims that I've got all this authority. I've got all the power. Everything, everything is mine. I've got all the power, heaven and earth. And I'm proclaiming to you one thing. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. So you can see the method here with this Holy Spirit. I, I'm going to be leaving. This Holy Spirit's going to come. So the method now is this discipleship process. Then we see... Immediately following that, Jesus ascends, and, he's, and he, but before rather he ascends, he, he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit, to go sit and wait for the Holy Spirit, and he will come upon you. And when he comes upon you in Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power. You will receive power, and you will testify to me to all of the earth. So the command is to make disciples. This isn't a command in Acts 1.8. It says you will do this. 
when you're hit with a powerful Holy Spirit. See, these guys realize, these disciples realize it can't be inside of me. It can't be the power that I own, that I have, because I know Jesus, he knows me and he's talking. I just ran from him. We were all cowards at his crucifixion. We followed him and followed him and followed him until it got really bad and got really ugly and we split. And I denied that I even knew him. You kidding me? I'm, I'm going to proclaim this now to the end of the world? It goes bad when you do that. They knew it wasn't within them, but Jesus said, you will receive power and you will do this. What you've never been able to do, what you've never even wanted to do, this is what you will do. So we have real fantastic expectation when we're going through the book of Acts, watching the Holy Spirit work, that we are going to see one thing. The proclamation of Jesus Christ by men by way of discipleship. See, in the second chapter in Acts, we see Pentecost. And, and, and these people finally get hit with the Holy Spirit. And they start speaking in tongues and these things. And, and, but what, what, what the whole point of Acts chapter 2 is, is, is one thing. These people get hit with the Holy Spirit. And they start speaking in tongues, not even their own. And people hear that and they come around. They're like, what is going on? This is craziness. They're speaking in our language. They're speaking, I don't even get to, who are these people? What's going on? And it says in verse 11 in chapter 2, these people declared this. They said, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. So true to himself, true to proclaiming Christ, the Holy Spirit rolls on the scene in a powerful way, just as Jesus said. And he immediately starts filling these people with himself to proclaim God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He will guide you in truth. And in that truth, you will proclaim God. It's the first thing we see. He shows up on the scene and says, I am here, and we will speak of Jesus Christ. So the sole goal of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim Jesus Christ. It is to glorify him. It is to announce him. It's to make him known. And the method is through discipleship. See, Matthew 28, the end is not to make disciples. If you see that as the end, then you're saying, here's what Jesus says. Here's the plan for the whole world, that you become something. You see, I just want you to become something that's worthwhile. I just want you to become a disciple. No, the reason for discipleship is for the proclamation of the gospel. Discipleship spreads the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. And disciples proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. There's no other plan. There's no other method. There's no other way. And there's no other purpose for the Christian. The only purpose is to be a disciple. Okay, we're going to look at our passage here. And we're going to take a look at six things in discipleship, okay, that our passage points us to. Six things in discipleship. The first one is dying to self. We see this in verse 20. Verse 20 says, when they asked him to stay, when they asked Paul here in Ephesus, he went into the synagogues, okay, and they asked him to stay a little while. But he declined. Everywhere Paul has gone, pretty much up to this point, whenever he goes and preaches in the synagogues, there's a whole bunch of Jews. 
okay? And these Jews don't believe in Jesus as the Christ. They believe in a Messiah. They believe in a God. He's going to, if it's not this Jesus guy, they killed him. He's a blasphemer, this Jesus guy is. So everywhere he goes preaching that Jesus is the Christ to the Jews, I mean, riots break out and they want to kill this guy and others, right? So it's not very friendly. It's not a welcoming sight. But this is what the Holy Spirit has him doing. And look at this. He comes to a place where he's welcomed. He comes to a place where they say, stick around. We want to hear. We believe. This is good news. Will you teach us? I mean, if you're Paul, wouldn't you be tempted to stay? Wouldn't you want to just like, man, I got me some friends now. We'll, we'll, we'll do this. We'll change the world together right, right here. Just everybody stay away. But he comes to a place, we don't know why, but he comes to a place, this place where he's welcome and he's got to leave. You see, when we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we die to the things that, that we once longed for. We die to the things of our ambition. We die to our goals. We die to our dreams. We even die to the comforts of this world and of this life. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus says this to his disciples. He's looking to them. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. Being a disciple is dying to self. Why? Why would this be true? Well, Jesus comes on the scene and he's proclaiming there's a new kingdom or a kingdom you don't see, a kingdom you don't understand. It's the kingdom of God. See, all you've been about this whole time is the kingdom of self, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of this world. You can't be promoting, living for the kingdom of self while simultaneously be living and promoting the kingdom of God. One's got to go. It only makes sense. And Jesus says, you must die to your former self because your former self built up your life, centered people around you that you wanted, you wanted to be around you to build you up. And the things that you're living for, that's all about you. That's got to die. That's got to go. And that's why Jesus said, you need to repent because there's a different kingdom. I'm sorry, God, that I thought this was the way of life. Now I see it's not. So it makes perfect sense to die to self. Oh, but how we struggle with this, right? Because it's here, you guys, that the outside world, and even some of us here on the inside, we think God is here to take something from me when I, when I read this. This is hard. I mean, aren't, didn't he make us with an instinct for survival, self-preservation? And now you're telling me I got I to gotta go, I got to die? How, this doesn't make any sense. You're here, to, you're here, God, to take something from me. The basic thing that you gave me as a human an instinct of survival, to live. You guys, the Bible tells us that in our sin, we're blind. We can't see. If we cannot see, we cannot even understand. We don't get something. The gospel, you guys, has to come against what we believe or it's just the same story. If I'm filled with sin, it's got to come against my wishes and my ways or, or I'm still supposed to be a sinner. John 10.10, 10, you guys, says this. 
This is Jesus. I have come to give you life, and I've come to give it to you more abundantly. In our blindness and in our sin, is it possible? Is it, is it possible, maybe is it probable that, that you think God's coming to take life from you? But is it possible that Jesus is actually saying, you don't have life. I've come to give it. I've come to give you something that's real. I haven't come to take something from you. I've come to give you what you don't have. And in order to give you what I want to give you, just give up this life that's leading you to hell. This self-centered existence that keeps you worshiping Satan. John 15, 11 says this, These things I have spoken to you that you may have joy, and that your joy may be full. The Bible says that that God wants you to be joyful. He's not trying to take stuff from you. He's trying to bring you joy. And what the Bible declares is you don't know what joy is. That's the problem. Is that we're confronted with this and we go, yes, I do, God. I know what joy is. I know how to get it. I know where it belongs. I know it. And you're, so you're just coming to take stuff from me when you tell me to die. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you joy and give you joy in abundance. But see, what you thought brought you joy doesn't bring you joy. What you thought brought you hope, peace, comfort, content, those things don't bring it to you. That's why you keep switching to something else. When that doesn't work, you go to this. When this relationship didn't work, you try another one. When this job didn't work, you go try another one. When this outfit and this haircut doesn't work, you go try another one. This image is what's going to save me. Maybe Jesus knows what he's talking about when he's asking you to die. Maybe he really is for you. Maybe he really is for your joy. See, John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In that sentence, Jesus declares that he is life. Everything outside of in him then is non-life. No truth can't possibly be any hope. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest message at the end of it, all these things at the beginning, it says, blessed is those who suffer and are persecuted and mourn and weep, all these difficult things, right? That you would love your enemy, that you would pray for those who persecute you, When someone asks you to go a mile, you would go to all these difficult things. Once again, Jesus is trying to take stuff from me. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, if this is you, if this is how you live, if this is what you see as life, you're going to have a foundation that's built to last. A never-ending foundation. A never-ending existence. So here he's talking to all these people, not in a religious way, but he says, everybody wants a foundation. Everybody wants a life that's going to last. And he says, and if you don't, you build your foundation on something else, it's going to fall, and great will be its fall. So when Jesus is telling them that here's how they should live, you should die to self, he's doing it because he wants you to have joy. He wants you to have a good foundation. You guys, you will never, ever die to yourself if you do not first understand and then believe 
that to die to self and live to Jesus is better. It's better. You will never die to yourself if you don't first understand and then believe that dying to self and living to Jesus is better. Paul figured that out. Paul got that. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's Psalm 37, 4. Commit your ways and trust in him and he will act. Commit yourself to the Lord. Follow him and he will act. Delight yourself in him and you get your desires because he changes them. This dying to self is a gradual, slow process. Six to eight years ago-ish, I loved to hunt. Still like to hunt. But I was dedicated, more dedicated to that than I was even my family at times. And so both season would come along, and, and, and I would be gone for a month, basically. And I would just get out, and I'd just do that. I would spend all kinds of money, money that we didn't really have. I would just do that, not worrying and caring about anything else. Yeah, I was a believer. Yeah, I love God. I, you know, all these things. If I would have heard this message now that I'm here, I was, you know, I'm, no, I'm not, uh-uh. I don't want, I, you know, you're trying to take something from me. These are the things that bring me joy. But I'm hearing this. I'm hearing the word of the gospel. I'm hearing the Lord. I'm, you know, I'm just like, man, maybe this isn't life. Maybe this doesn't bring it. And so I don't see, and then first, I, in the first step, I, I started to understand what the Bible said. That following Jesus was the, what, what brought joy, what brought life, what brought, brought satisfaction to life, what brought purpose to life. It made sense, this following Jesus and dying. So the first step I took was on one Sunday, I didn't go hunting, and my wife was like, what? You're not going to go? And no, we're going to church. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be there. At that moment, my desire was still to be out in the field, Okay. My desire hadn't changed, but my understanding about the scriptures had. And my belief was changing. I was thinking, okay, God can do some of this stuff. God, I, you know, he better be, I, let's, let's try this. And so it was just this following along God, believing that he's going to act, just as this says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. All this while later, I forgot to even apply for tags this year. I don't even care. And that used to drive my existence. Because I committed my way to the Lord and he acted and he changed my life, and he changed my heart, and he helped me to see, I'm joy, I'm satisfaction, not that. I'm not anti-hunting. I'm anti-worship of hunting. I'm anti, this is my pursuit in life, hunting, or anything else for that matter. You guys, Jesus did this, dying to self, He left eternity when everything, he left eternity in heaven, when everything in heaven worshiped his name. Holy, holy, holy. Continual worship of him. And he doesn't need anything. Everything that existed worshiped him. And then he died to that deity, to that royalty, and became a man. And then while he's on the planet, he sees all this mess and all this stuff that's going on. And an instant he could have called 10,000 legions of angels. But he died to self. He died to self. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus, remember? 
Okay, that's point one. That's the longest one. We'll work through these rest a little bit quicker. Second one, follow the will of the Lord. Okay, and it's much like the first, but the first says, I die to self. So these are the things I don't do. This is what I, I don't, I don't pursue me any longer. I don't build up my kingdom any longer. So here's what I do. I follow the will of the Lord in his kingdom with his plan. Verse 21 says, but on taking leave of them, of the people here that wanted him to stay, he said, I will return to you if God wills, if God wills. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we've, we've mainly answered that this to do the will of God requires a death to self, right? Requires a death to you. But now, so we're going to assume that we've died and we're dying or wanting to die, whatever the case may be, and now I want to follow the will of the Lord. And we could get on a whole long teaching. All of these six points here could be a long, lengthy teaching in and of themselves. But we won't spend a lot of time on this. But I do want to talk just for a second about what the will of the Lord is. Okay? Here's where a lot of people get stuck. You know, when they're walking in, in truth and wanting to, um, you know, be pressing into the Lord. And, and it's like, what do I do? How do I know when to do that? How do I do this? What's the will of the Lord? It seems so elusive. It seems so hard to figure out. I recently read a book by an author, um, and he really helped me gain a good perspective of what this is, this will of the Lord. Not a complete, robust understanding, complete doctrinal picture of it, but just a good, basic understanding. And that's what I want to just give you this morning. There's a few methods out there of how to figure out this will of the Lord. We can throw the fleece out, right? So we can say, well, Lord, um, if this, then I'll do this. If you show me this, then I'll go. If you don't show me this, then I won't go. So kind of this fleece thing, if I do this, and we do see that the fleece is a, it was a biblical picture even to hear from God. So we're not going to completely renounce that and say, don't ever do that. There's the open and door open door and closed door method. And this is probably the most common that we say that um, God opens doors and God closes doors. And so this is how I would go. The, The problem that this author has with that being solely true and where truth is found is that then states that God will never have you do anything that's difficult. God will never have you press through something that's hard. And we just don't see that biblically, do we? We actually see the opposite of that. And we actually see that that when someone doesn't get their way or their desire, like the, the woman who's pestering the king in the parable, which is actually a picture of us prayerfully going to God, and this woman pesters the king, pesters him, pesters or the ruler or whatever, and a businessman, and... and And he finally relents. And God says, if if he will, what do you think about me? Come to me. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. So once again, that would show that closed door method. I I go one time. No, no, I'm out of here. Done, gone. It didn't happen. He says, keep coming to me. So that may not be the best method to try to choose. kind of tricked you guys and he kind of tricked me while I was reading he said what if this isn't the right question to even be asking we're all going along through life walking the Christian life out acting like the will of God is some elusive thing it's like God if you love me why won't you show me this is difficult this is hard and the pages of scripture shout out I already have I've showed you my will. I've told you my will. I've got one plan for your life. One. Make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Proclaim my name in that. This is what you're here for. This is why you exist still today. All of you, all the time. Whatever you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's at dinner with your family, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, this is the plan. This is the will of the Lord. And Jesus followed the will of the Lord all the way to death, right? Not my will, but your will. And Jesus declared that this is the will that we would proclaim. In John 17, his prayer to the Father said, I've come, I've done this, I've accomplished your will. I've made your name great. I've proclaimed you. And now these that are left, they're, they're going to continue to proclaim you. I've accomplished your will. Number three. The third thing that we notice about discipleship in this passage is that discipleship paves the way for the gospel to be heard. Verse 18. It says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had his hair cut. Okay, so quickly, just got to give you a little bit of background on this. What that means in this getting this, this seemingly random picture of this, you know, he's taking care of himself, getting himself cleaned up, is, is Paul um, was performing a Nazarite vow, okay, which was Jewish tradition. Okay, that you would separate yourself for a period of time, keep yourself separate from a few things, and at the end of that time, once it's been fulfilled, then you would cut your hair, take it up to Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. The interesting thing about this is this is Jewish tradition, not a requirement. And, and if we look back in chapters 15 and 16, Paul was completely and vehemently opposed to Jewish tradition for the sake of requirement, okay? Because some guys were preaching, some Jews were preaching, okay, we get that there's God, we get the Gentiles, get a, they get to get God too, and we understand that this Jesus guy and this is great, but you guys got to be like us, you need to be circumcised. And Paul goes, absolutely not takes this to the council and says, let's have this hearing. And so Paul's just completely opposed to this tradition being some kind of a requirement. And they come down after this time and, and um, James, a brother of Jesus, a kind of the head dude, he, he announces, like, okay, so here's what we find. It's not a requirement. But I want you to know in chapter 15, I want you to know, don't stumble your brothers. Love your brothers. If your brothers want to keep tradition and are not making it requirement, allow that. Let that take place. And so Paul, in the next chapter, in chapter 16, actually goes and circumcises Timothy, the dude that he's going along with. Why? Because they're going to be speaking to some other Jews. And so Paul wasn't opposed to Jewish tradition. He actually wanted them to hear. And so he wanted to be like them. He wanted to be around them. He wanted to, to talk like them and do whatever he could. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you know, it talks about Paul saying, I want to be all things to all people so that, you know, by me doing this, some might be saved. Paul wanted people to hear the good news about the gospel. This is what he's doing. This is what it's alluding to. This is why he would do that. He's not all of a sudden back into doing rituals again in Jewish tradition. He's just continually trying to make the way, trying to pave the way for the gospel to be heard. The world is all about building us up, me and my world and, and, and my existence and my, my kingdom. So I would never do the things that Paul does. I would never do the things that the Holy Spirit would have me do, which is get low and beneath everybody else so that they can hear. Paving the way for the gospel to be heard goes against the grain of life. It goes against what we want to do. It goes against what's natural because we become a stepping stone for people. We become a stepping stone for people to hear the gospel, the message 
See, because the whole world's trying to sell you something, right? I mean, everybody's trying to sell. I mean, people come door to door and people, I mean, everybody's trying to sell you. Everybody's trying to, you know, get you to do something, to buy something, to come into something. And what are we always thinking? What's in it for you? Why? Why would you have me do this? We know that salesmen that come to our door, they make a living doing that, right? So we may not believe everything because there's something in it for them. Christians that go around proclaiming the gospel and not paving the way, not loving people, not getting underneath people to hear, that's just basically telling I've got something to sell too. Because if you really cared about them, if you really loved them, we wouldn't get angry when they don't understand. We wouldn't get upset with them. And we continue to do what it takes. And then when we're bringing somebody along and they step on us and wound us and crush us, it wouldn't upset us because it's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. I've got nothing to gain here. I've gained it all. I'll continue to let me, you walk on me because I want you to hear. And then when people see that you have nothing to gain, they listen. Like, what? what? Why would this person do this? Why would they act like this? Why would they be like this? What are they about? What are they doing? Suffering for people produces listeners. I'm a general contract and I've got a job where some guys from Hawaii, or Hawaii, no, Idaho. <laughs> potatoes and surfboards. I, um, so from Idaho, I've come over and there's a group of, of, of uh, these four guys and they're a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty rough crowd. And um, they're, they're coming. They, they work for me essentially, right, on this job. They work for the owner, but I'm like overseeing the project. And, and um, so there's these, these, these guys that are coming. They're, they're setting up the log structure right now. And, and they're, they're, they've got paid to do that, right? These, these subcontractors got paid to do that. I'm supposed to be there to watch and make sure that it gets done right, I guess, you know, the best of my ability, understanding. And so with this in mind, what God is really pounding home in me and my heart it's like you paved the way for, to be, for me to be heard. You paved the way to speak. You paved the way. You get low. You get underneath people. I've been running around. This is all credit to God, okay? This isn't a pat on Kevin's back. I've screwed up my, most of my life, okay? But, but I've been running around serving these guys. Helping them. Doing things. Running, doing this. How can I do that? How can I help you here? How come they're just like, what are you doing? Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, that's cool. You know, you don't have to do, I, I know, I just want to, how can I, you know, and th- this is what's different. We, we, we say something different with our lives. First, with our actions, we do things so that people can hear. And they've just have come, they've been here a few days, and they're going to be here 20 days, and you guys can pray for all four of these guys. And pray that, 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 that the, the gospel would be laid out for them to be able to hear. And right now, I just feel like the Lord is going, pave the way. You know, buy them lunch, bring them things. And you just, you, your kindness just rolls out. What general contractor is going to help somebody do the job that they're already paid to do? And like I said, that's, that's glory to God. That's praise to God, not to a man. A better illustration, real quick. I gave this illustration talking about suffering one time. So this is paving the way for the gospel to be heard. So this guy, true story, is, is in Africa, and he goes in, into a, um, in, in, he goes in the jungle, and he goes from city to city proclaiming Jesus, telling people about the good news of the gospel. And he goes into this one city after a long day, and, go, and it takes him a long time to get there, and he goes there, and he gets beat up after he's talking to this tribe about Jesus Christ. And they beat him up just horribly, take him and throw him outside to die, to be left, outside the city. And it was late that night, he finally comes to, 
And it's dark, and these people are right over his face. And he's fearful for his life. And he's looking up at him. And with tears in their eyes, they look down at this guy that they beat up and must have talked about and then came back. They look down at the guy, and they said, we want to hear what you have to say. See, after we beat you up and we carried you out here to die, we saw all the blood and the sores on your feet. You must have an important message for us to hear. That's paving the way for the gospel to be heard. That's what we do when we're filled with the Spirit. Fourth thing, we preach Jesus Christ. We've got to really cruise here. We preach Jesus Christ, and we preach Jesus as the Christ. Verse 25, talking about Apollos, it says, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. So it said he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And even before that, it talks about him being an eloquent man. But we, said he's, he, we see that he's talking about Jesus. And so here's a guy that's undoubtedly educated, and he's eloquent, and, and probably has a knack for being able to use that to persuade people. But it simply says here, he just taught accurately Jesus. This is all I got. And that's what Paul, it's what Rory's been teaching on Sunday. This is what Paul says. It's all I've got. I just got Jesus Christ and him crucified. In verse 28, it talks about this Apollos guy, that he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So he's going into the synagogues, once again, talking to the Jews that believe in, in a Christ, that believe in a Messiah, that believe in a Savior, but just not Jesus. And so our Bible is telling us, here's what he's doing, and I don't think it should be any different than what we do today. He's showing that Jesus is here. The Bible speaks of Jesus. See, the Bible doesn't go out to prove itself. The Bible doesn't go out to prove God. First sentence of the Bible says, in the beginning, God. That carries with it an assumption that you hear God and you know about God. The Bible doesn't try to prove it exists. And neither does Jesus. Jesus, when he's talking to people, just says, this is me. This is who I am. This is me. When he shows up to, the, um, uh, to his disciples in, in Luke 24, he said, the scriptures back here, the prophets, the law, it all spoke of me. So, you guys, we don't have to get super freaked out when we go, well, what do we say? How do we talk people into it? I mean, there's some super good arguments. There's this, and, and the evolutionists have got this. And can I be real with you? I'm going to be straight up and throw my cards on the table here. I do not like creationist evolution debates. I don't like them. I'm sure God can use them, but I don't see them as profitable. Because at the end, you have the creationists going, told you so. And over on this side, you have the evolutionists going, told you so. I've looked up and on YouTube and said, see how this guy just slaughters this guy and he proves it. And on, on YouTube on a different page where they're atheists, it goes, look how this guy slaughtered this guy and he proves it. And it's the same conversation. It's the wisdom of man. We're trying to talk people into getting it. Don't go there. You don't have to go there. Just say this. Reasoning in the scriptures is this. It's just simply saying, the Bible says this. Jesus is king. A lot of times we try to soft pedal and we go, kind of God, you know, God, you know, you believe in God? That's not horrible. But if you really want to be effective, talk about Jesus and talk about who he is. Walk up to somebody and say, I don't know if you believe the Bible or not, but I'm going to tell you the what. The Bible says Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Everything is his and he's coming back. Have a good day. A lot of times we try to talk people into something. You, you might need to be saved. And 
that's, that's good. Those are, that, I mean, it's this, but, but here what we see, we don't see people doing that. We see people saying, these scriptures talk about Jesus. These scriptures talk about him being the ruler. These scriptures talk about Jesus being the authority. I think we can follow that example. I think it's pretty safe to say that we can follow that. Once again, as we're disciples of Jesus, that's what he did. He just says, these speak of me. Leave it at that. We don't have to save people. That's for God to do. Five, correction and encouragement. As disciples, we see in this passage, correction and encouragement. We live in a world that, um, that takes Luke 6.37 out of context, which is judge not lest you be judged. The world takes that out of context because it gives them free freedom to live however they want. Don't you tell me how to live. Don't tell me how to live. I'm going to do it my way. Don't you judge me and tell me you know some kind of truth. Don't tell me that. It's this enlightenment world, right? But isn't it funny how the world actually works against itself to even show how stupid that theory is? But don't judge me. I get to make up truth. Truth is relative. We don't just let people go around killing people, do we? You can't do that. You can't do that. That's wrong. We don't even let other nations do that. So we're telling those other nations how to live? It's not right. Don't tell me. Where's the rules coming from? Even our own nation, let's not just look at other, look, our own nation says, uh, you know, a woman has the right to have an abortion. She can, she can kill that baby if, if she wants to. She's got rights, it's her body. You can't tell her what to do with her body. What happens if a woman walks out here naked on the street? She goes to prison. Well, it's, what if it's what she wanted to do with her body? What happened if a woman wants to prostitute, prostitute herself? Goes to jail. You can't do that. Wait a minute. Didn't you say that I can... Who's got the rules here? Where are the rules being handed down from? You're talking about both sides of your mouth. So even here in our own nation, it's foolishness. There's one truth. There's one law. And the Bible declares it's the word of God. So... As disciples, we go around correcting each other with the word of God. Remember, the the world's quickly producing disciples. Actually, they start out as disciples, Ephesians says, right, of the world. As worshipers of, of Satan, basically. And so the Holy Spirit has a big work to do here to correct people. And they're thinking about what's right and what's true. So he's using the word of God to correct people. And the world tells us too, this isn't cool. That's not cool. Don't just go around correcting. Let them, leave them alone. And you know what? We still struggle with this in our Christian circle today where we see somebody doing something wrong. It's like, oh, geez. <laughs> and rather than going telling somebody about it and encouraging them in truth, we'll go over to here and go, oh, did you see what they did? <laughs> Holy cow. Right? I mean, that's the world. The world's got that nailed. No one gossips better than the world. No one looks down on somebody else better than the world. There's no love in that. There's love in correction. There's love in correction. And we would correct with truth. And we see Priscilla and Aquila, don't we, here correcting Apollos after they listened to Apollos preaching the gospel. Wouldn't it have been, I mean, couldn't they just, you know, he's, he's preaching Jesus, just leave it at that. You're just going to make him mad. You're just, no, but the Holy Spirit says this, go and help them. Teach them what's right and true and correct them. That's loving. That's what I'm about. And encouragement. We see that uh, Priscilla and Aquila encourage Apollos with the truth and that in verse uh, 27, yeah, 
Verse 27, Apollos goes to Achaia and encourages the people. He encourages, it says, those who by grace, through grace, had believed. You guys, we need encouragement. This is tough, right? It's tough. It's a battle because you live in a world that's filled with sin that is wholly committed to making disciples of this world. And you still have sin nature in you as well. It's difficult and we need encouragement and we need to encourage each other. And so many times we evaluate on the things that I'm going to do, whether or not it benefits me, whether or not I'll be a part of a core group, a 242 group, or just a gathering or a Sunday morning or what, what will it do for me? You know, I don't need that right now. or That's not really benefiting. What God says here doesn't matter what you need, although you need encouragement too. But Paul is going around, right? Place to place, it says, strengthening the disciples, strengthening the churches, going up to Jerusalem and encouraging them and greeting them, going back down to his home church in Antioch and greeting them and encouraging them and then rolling out to Phrygia and Galatia and strengthening them. And here's Apollos as a disciple of John, not even of Paul, but a disciple of John. And he's going out and he's encouraging people in Achaia. And Priscilla and Aquil, they're encouraging the guy who's doing the encouraging. It's huge in discipleship that we would encourage, we would strengthen, we would grow together. And isn't this what Jesus did? Man, did he correct He corrected, didn't he? He corrected his disciples. Peter, get behind me. What? What What was I doing wrong? Okay, I didn't know that one. I wouldn't have spoken that, right? And he just embarrassed. He he always was correcting these guys with truth. And remember Peter when he blew it big time? Remember when he blew it? God encouraged him, didn't he? God restored him. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do, Father. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. He encouraged him. He brought him back. Place of great struggle where all he could see was his failure. And Jesus goes, no, you're not going to stay there. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to love you. We speak truth and we encourage. Those are two very big things that we do in discipleship and we see them here. Lastly, six, and it's actually not in this chapter. It's in chapter 19. But if you look down, verse 10 of chapter 19 says this. It says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And, and what precedes that is just more discipleship. So what we see here is that discipleship works. This plan of God works. There is no other plan. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to come back, Father, but but if this goes bad, I'll head back down. I'll finish it. Jesus, God incarnate, God in flesh, all kinds of crazy miracles, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of power, leaves this earth and leaves the job to us. That's crazy. How in the world are you going to get us to do this, God? We're afraid. We don't know. We're cowards. We can't even follow you. And he says, I got a plan. You're going to be invaded with the Holy Spirit. And it will work. You will make disciples. So his plan works. His plan works. There is no other plan. You guys, there's no other plan for your life. There's no other plan to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. There's no other plan to build his church. Your purpose here is to be hit with the Holy Spirit. And when you are, not if, when you are, you will make disciples that proclaims Jesus to all the parts of the earth. That's all there is to do. Have fun doing whatever job you do doesn't matter. There's people there that you can encourage. There's people there that you can teach. There's disciples to be made at your workplace or in your retirement or in your schools. This is 
a big game here. Last night I was kind of listening to the Oregon State uh, baseball game, and and uh, it's a it's a just a you know down to the ninth inning, and they win. It's postseason play. It's a big deal. The excitement and the you know I mean it's just like and everybody follows, and it's like I'm a beaver. I got all my stuff on, and it was like man, yeah. I'm just talking about it. I don't care if you like the beavers or not. I'm going to tell you about them. You know, I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to show it. I'm going to live it. We're going to talk about it. It's going to be joyous and exciting. I was sitting last night, you know, getting ready for this. I was thinking, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad how crazy we'll get over boys playing with a ball and a stick? And you know what? The loser goes home to play with a ball and a stick another day. The loser in this life goes to hell. It's a much bigger game. Don't ask yourself, do I have to be a disciple? Do I have to be that committed? Do I have to go that far? Wrong question. We should be asking ourselves when we look at the book of Acts, when we listen to the word of God today, how can I become a disciple? I want that to be me. I want to live like that. I want to live for you. I want to live for this call. I want this plan to be true in my life. You guys, we've got core groups. We've got 242 groups. You guys have a song? Okay, you heard it. Too late. (laughs) Core groups, 242 groups, places to plug in to, to get equipped for disciple making. Do not call these core groups a home. This isn't where you belong and where you stay. We take it to our workplace. We take it to the other nations of the world. But good places in this body to get equipped. If you're not involved in getting equipped and becoming a disciple, which is not just hearing but doing, then I encourage you, we encourage you guys to become a disciple, to get involved, to get e- you know, e- equipped. Come forward and talk to Rory or myself or anybody about getting involved, getting plugged in, how this could be me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. Uh, Thank you for your spirit, God, that you didn't just save us and you're not just coming back for us, Lord, but that you fill us with your spirit to give us new life, to give us a life filled with joy, to give us a life filled with hope, to give us a a life of of, of crazy excitement, God, that has people's lives on the line and you would entrust this to us, this message. God, it seems very crazy. It seems very dangerous on your part to entrust this to us. But we see the power of your spirit and we have expectations, God, of the spirit moving here in this body of people to the ends of the earth. So Holy Spirit, hit us, nail us, do what you would do. Let us be the continuation of the book of Acts. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.